Ben, how are you? I'm good. Welcome back. Thank you. Welcome uh, back to you too. And welcome back to everyone else out there listening. Yeah, so we never it was we we only ever soft launched uh exponent uh on Twitter. Like I, I never put a post on on Stratechery. Uh and I don't think you ever put a wink in your bio or anything like that. Um but this I mean the plan all along, this was this was the this was the the intended podcast to go along with Stratechery and we we were excited and then thought it wouldn't work out. Um and so uh Jumped in with my big thanks to John jumping in with Stratechery FM, but it turned out it did work out. So we're actually able to make it work. And so we are back and we intend to stay back. Yes, that sounds good to me. So uh, just in case, um, we actually might get some new listeners because uh, this will actually be posted on, on, on my site and you're going to and you're gonna spread it. Um, let's do a quick intro. I'm Ben. Uh, I'm the author and, I guess, founder, I guess, say, of uh, Stratechery, Stratechery.com, and I uh, write about uh, technology, primarily about the business and strategy, and also kind of its broader impact on society. And you are? I'm James Orth, and I'm right now working for a late-stage startup uh, here in Palo Alto called Medallia. Um, previously had a stint at Apple. Um, also worked with Clay Christensen on a book uh, called How Will You Measure Your Life? Um, while I was at, just after I finished at uh, Harvard Business School. Right. So we we actually did record two episodes. Um, we posted one. Uh, there is a second episode, uh, which needs a quick little edit, but we'll get that up as well. Um, so actually, it's a backlog for you to listen to. And um, just to be clear, this will be um, this. Like I said, this was the this was the plan all along. It looked like it wasn't going to work out, but it ultimately did. And so this will be kind of the. The at least my personal main kind of podcast forum um, going forward, and so tons of thanks, to my listeners, uh, for the little bit of back and forth. Um, but uh, I think the first two episodes were great. You can check them out, and pretty super excited about about doing this going forward. Yes, sounds good. So I it would be impossible to say another word without talking about the Beats acquisition, Apple's acquisition of Beats by Dre. What are your thoughts, Ben? Well, I wrote. Uh, I actually wrote like three thousand words, and I cut a thousand of them. Um, three thousand—that's <laughs> a lot, even for you. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, I actually I write I write pretty quickly. Um, you know, I think I can I can usually write a typical article in in just in just a couple hours. Um, but this one uh, took took a long time. Um, it took a long time to edit, and I think it's because uh, it's. <laughs> It's it's a really mysterious uh, acquisition in a lot of ways. I mean, for, yeah. first off, it's not it's not that big. It's three. I mean, three point two billion to Apple is a month a month of profits. Um, <laughs> but 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 it feels like it's potentially something so much bigger just because it's so out of character. It is out of character, and I mean, it might not be big in sheer terms, but it's probably one of the biggest acquisitions they've made in some time, right? Oh, it's the biggest by far. I mean, their previous largest go. was Next uh, in the '90s for for four hundred million, which, um, as a percentage of their revenue, was greater um, because right. their revenue was terrible then. Uh, but yeah, certainly, even with inflation, is is dwarfed by by this deal. And uh, and Jimmy Ivey is getting a lot of love, but I'm I'm pretty sure he's not the same as acquiring Steve Jobs. No, I, I, yeah, I mean, there aren't many people for whom you could say that. So, all right, tell us, why do you think they did it? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why 
uh, why I, I I struggled to to write about it because it's one of those things you can't you can't know for sure. I think I think the big thing though is there's there's a lot about the deal that just from a strictly business sense makes a ton of sense. Um, and I mean, one like uh, I actually think that. I don't think the headphones are a tag on. I think Apple is is genuinely interested in that business. It's a very lucrative business. It's it's one that's like Apple's business in a lot of ways, and that it's it's quote unquote commodity hardware that's uh, that charges a significant premium based on the kind of like experience of owning them. Um, there's not a software component, but there is certainly a a branding component. There is a uh, a very aspirational component to them. Mm. And I think if you tack on Apple's kind of supply chain excellence and distribution, you could easily see them going from $1.5 billion business to at least double that, if not more, likely with lower costs. And being not not a not a massive uh, contributor, but a notable contributor uh, to both the top and bottom lines. And I, I think they're... I think to say that that doesn't matter at all um, isn't quite right. I mean, Apple, you know, Apple does need growth, and there won't—I don't think there will be one ever a product quite like the iPhone, which means you kind of have to put together lots of different pieces to to get there. Right, but this isn't the kind of growth that they. I mean, we're not going to see iPad or iPhone type growth out of something like this, right? No, no, certainly not. But. I guess my what the reason why the article was long is I spent a lot of time kind of exploring the question of is that is it realistic to kind of expect that growth especially in the next kind of um, five years or so uh, you know the, the the thing about the iPhone is it's not just that anything that's as big and impactful as the iPhone is not ever just a function of the company that. It's not just a function of creating the iPhone. It's a function of being a certain moment in time. Being it's all the stuff that's going on around it. And right. What makes someone like Jobs great or these visionaries great? It's not that they birth something completely new to the world. It's that they're they're just this just a little bit ahead of everybody else. Like right. there's this ocean, there's these waves, and they can see the wave coming and they get on the wave first. But it's the wave that provides all the momentum and the massive sort of broad impact. Yeah, I, I know exactly what I know exactly what you're talking about. I I really liked I really liked the article. I thought it provided a lot of insight as to why they might do it. But I also have to confess that you made me worry a little bit as I read it. Um, I think one of the things about Apple that that uh, over the past what. 15 years since Jobs came back, they were willing to just focus on the things that would provide the explosive growth. They were willing to, I mean, that's the thing when, when Jobs came back, there were a whole lot of things that maybe they could have grown, maybe they looked promising. They all got cut and it was, okay, we're going to focus on just a few things and do them really, really well. And they were patient to birth them. I mean, you read about how long, uh, OS 10 in, on Intel was was in the labs. You read about how long the the technology that sat behind the iPhone was sitting in the labs before they released them. They were focused on only those really big things. And 
I don't know. I mean, I maybe maybe the music subscription service, maybe they're starting to get worried about that. But other than that, I can't for the life of me think about, understand where the explosive growth is in this. And if it's not explosive growth, then why is Apple doing it? Well, I mean, I think you're exactly right. I mean, one of the kind of principles of Apple when they think about entering new markets, at least as of 2010 when I was there, and this is one of the things we we worked on, you know, as being part of Apple University, is that there has to be a significant market opportunity. Um, that's one of the criteria for for a new product. And yes, there is a market opportunity here, and and Beats is is clearly identified something. Um, but no, it's not. It's nothing of the scale of of an iPhone, much less, or of an iPad, much less an iPhone or something along those lines. The question though is, and this is where the context comes in, when when Jobs was there in the 90s and even in the 2000s, uh, Apple's starting position was so different. Yeah. Like, I mean, honestly, in 1997, a $1.5 billion business would have been a really big deal for Apple. Yeah, uh, totally. But again, coming back to, Reading what you said and thinking the there was a lot of insight, but it making me really, really worried is that that's the kind of thinking that causes companies to get disrupted. You know, like you that the the creating creating a new business, creating something disruptive inside an organization. You don't think about how big it is relative to what you're doing because once you start thinking like that, nothing becomes attractive anymore. Instead, you and this is one of the things that Jobs talked about in the biography, right? It's it's you know when when Scully took over, he shifted the priorities from making great products to making to to making things profitable, and it was a subtle shift, but it was a really important one, and it ended up making all the difference. And when Jobs came back, he shifted it back. Now, the thing that concerned me most about reading through your article, and and I I wanna yeah you did you did put a little asterisk up the top saying the only people that know for sure about this are the people in the room making the deal, and so I, I don't wanna I don't wanna take that out of context either. But but the analysis was really insightful. But the thing that worried me is it suggested that perhaps the priorities have started to shift away from focusing on making great like amazingly, insanely great products that change the world to, oh gosh, you know, we're sitting on this money and we've got we've to gotta keep growing. So, and this looks kind of attractive and these guys are in the music industry and we're in the music industry too. So, you know, what about it? So the problem is though, I, you, you're kind of ha- trying to have it both ways. Um, you, Cause you, you first said- <laughs> Come that, on, Ben, let me have it both ways. <laughs> well, you first said that this, this business isn't big enough. But then you said focusing on the size of a business yeah. is, is a problem. Yeah. So, so it's not. I. I so, thank you for the, the clarifying question. Is a really good one. It's the the potential for the business isn't big enough. I mean, the things that Apple were focusing on, there was explosive, explosive growth. I don't. I, I mean, you think about, and and well, and like they were world changing in nature. Like you think about the way like the impact that the iPhone or the iPad or the iPod had on their respective industries, right? Um, I, don't, I don't see that with a headphones manufacturer. Like the, the, and I encourage people to go read about it. The story of how Beats, Beats by Dre came into being is a really interesting one and it, there's, there's lots of uh, intrigue and politics involved. But f- fundamentally, they're just like, 
their headphones with a with a cool brand, right? I, I don't even think they're particularly good headphones, being a little bit of an audiophile. Um, I don't I don't see the change the world type uh, like potential here, whereas I do in a lot of the other in a lot of the other ventures that Apple have, has focused on. That's what concerns me. Yeah, well, I mean, you're not going to get no argument from me. I mean, I, I, uh, as far as, you know, headphones changing the world to, to the degree that other Apple products have. The, the problem, though, is, oh, right, so you say Apple ought to be working on on the next uh, yeah. world-changing product. Right, but and the thing about them has been they've always been patient about it. They've always been, you know, like if it takes, it'll be out when it's out and we're not going to let financial markets dictate that. We're not going to let employees share purchase plans dictate that. The priority is we are going to release phenomenal products and nothing else matters. And, you know, I mm, that's what... That's, it just feels like maybe that slipped with this. So, again, though, that's that's easy to do and easy to say when you're not a big company, which Apple has not been a big company um, until the last five years or so. When you're when you're the size of Apple now, so let's back up. So so they need to come up with with a big product. My contention is that coming up with a big product is not just a matter of kind of willing it into existence, right? Like all, all the pieces have to be in place. And a lot of those pieces are not, are just a matter of technological progress. And if you look at, as I, 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 I trimmed, this is one of the sections I really trimmed down the article, but if you look at the history of technology, right? Like these kind of long epochs are, are quite long, right? Like the mainframe was dominant for, 15 to 20 years. The PC was dominant for 15 to 20 years. The internet was dominant for maybe a little bit shorter, but but a good 15 years. And now we're in mobile and we're only, you know, seven or so years into it. And the the problem is that these kind of follow a, a, a pattern. At the beginning of, of an epoch, there's kind of a bunch of players, right? Everyone kind of sees what's going on. And then eventually... Uh, one of the main players kind of wins, right? And then, and then once they win, it's now a stable platform for lots of development to go on on top of that, right? So you had IBM in the mainframe area, you had Windows in the Wintel architecture in the PC area era, and you know the PC arguably started in the late seventies, but it wasn't until it wasn't until the IBM PC really kind of established the category that all the development was able to happen on top of it, right? And so now you have, uh, and same with, with the internet, right? With the Internet Explorer and, and Netscape had to fight it out. They had to like, you know, they competed, they developed all these APIs. Like famously, it was Microsoft, an attempt to walk out Netscape that developed, you know, Ajax and like all this sort of like interactivity that make web apps today possible. Um, and then the development could happen on top of that. And now in mobile, iOS and Android have won. Uh, they are the stable platforms, and now a whole ecosystem is building and will continue to build on top of that until the next thing comes along. I don't see any evidence that that next thing is going to come along in the next couple of years. And again, it's not. This isn't being a technological pessimist. It's just looking at the fact that there is, actually is a repeatable pattern to these things, and if that pattern holds. Uh, we're not near the end. Combine that with the fact uh, 
well, there's lots of interesting things in the pipeline, but people were, people were building mobile phones in the 2000s, right? But all the pieces weren't there in 2007. And mm. I think something about wearables is there, and there's interesting stuff, but they're not the center of our existence because the, the right tech's not there, and I don't think it will be there for yeah, a few right. years. Right. I mean, there's there's so much good stuff in what you've just talked about, but I, I, I th- so firstly, I think I think you're right about wearables. I think those are the that's that's the next frontier, like taking it out of the pocket and putting it so it's even more like creating an even more frictionless experience and like the sniffing around Apple that's happening at the moment and moves they're making suggests that that's what they are focusing on. But Microsoft um, was making mobile phones in 2000, right? I mean, it's. I mean, not to say Apple's Microsoft, but it, it, it's it's but that's the that's it's the, the same thing, timing, right? right? It, like Microsoft was the thing about saying like Microsoft missed mobile is they 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 knew mobile was next. Like that's why that's why Windows Mobile came out. I think it might have been nineteen ninety eight actually. Like they knew it was next, and I think Apple knows, and lots of people know that wearables is next. But just right. because, but the reason Microsoft succeeded wasn't just because they built a wrong product, but because the technology wasn't ready yet. Yeah, so this is interesting. I, I see the world through a slightly different lens to you around this, and that is not whoever gets gets it when the timing is right. It's whoever's best positioned to be able to deliver on it. And this is the thing about um, being a integrated versus a modular player. Uh, Apple, Apple, by virtue of the way that it is set up as an as a fully integrated player. Is, has a unique advantage versus all the other tech companies in its ability to deliver a product that really um, that, that integrates uh, the hardware and the software well. And I, I think Microsoft's fate around delivering one of those phones was sealed just because it, it, it didn't integrate. That's why it wasn't able to do it. It wasn't, I mean, Apple was playing, I mean, you, and I don't want to disagree with, with your statement around the timing has to be right because Apple was playing with, with Newton and so on, many years earlier as well. But that they, by virtue of the fact that they're an integrated player, that's their advantage, and it it, it cuts against them once once the once the way the product all fits together has been determined, and people know how all the pieces, all the various modules fit together, and you can start to establish the interconnects. That's when the modular players like the Microsofts have their advantage. Now, I think. I think we're getting to a point in the development of mobile where the shift is starting to, um, the, the sh- it's starting to shift to where there's a benefit to being an integrated versus a modular player. The wait, wait, solution uh, benefit to being an integrated or benefit to being a modular. Benefit to being a modular player. Did I say the other? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, sorry. Um, thank you for thank you for pulling me up. So there's a benefit to being a modular player in the mobile space. That being said, I don't think the solution to this is to go out and buy a headphone manufacturer. I think the solution to this is the same thing that the solution has always been for Apple, which is to focus on whatever is next and to not let, and I know it's easy for me to sit here as the armchair critic and say, not let the the stock market or the, 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 the all those things determine that, but rather just to keep that singular focus on we make amazing products and we're going to figure out what's next and our advantage is in figuring out what's next because the way that we're put together uh, makes us uniquely positioned to figure out what's next versus everyone else out there. So, okay, so this is, I mean, the pushback to that is I think we may be making a bit of too big of a deal out of this. Like, right, totally. Like, 
I don't think there's anything to suggest that Apple is um, uh, making itself into like that. They, they think Beats is going to be the next big product, right? Like, no, it's, yeah, sure. But we 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 did start out with the acknowledgement that this is the largest acquisition that Apple's ever made, and neither of us are able to come up with a particularly compelling reason as to why they've made it, other than. Um, We've got to do something with this money because we've got to keep growing. Well, well, so hey, well, well, let, I think there's more to it. That I think that I think makes it compelling, and um, and just establish up front. I, I, we'll, we'll get to my doubts. I think at the end, but I'm gonna, okay. I'm going to argue more more in favor just just for for the debate yeah. here. Um, so one, they get. I think they do get a nice revenue stream that I that <laughs> you're going to laugh. That they have good synergies uh, with synergies. Wow, <laughs> they have spot, good the M- spot the MBA is having a conversation. Yeah, no. But no, I mean, like they 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 bring they bring great distribution and a great supply chain, um, which are so, by so definition gonna, the biggest challenge for a company. Like true, like but are we are we going to go for a walk through the Apple Store, like an Apple retail store, and like pick out all the categories that sell well, and like let's just bless a winner and buy it, and then that's the only thing we're going to ship in the Apple. Like okay, so so so, know, so okay, so so benefit number two is like, uh, I actually I actually tried to think about this. It's a it's actually a challenge to think. Then you another, always try and to think, think of another things. brand, uh, in in another MBA word adjacent space <laughs> to Apple. That really has the sort of mind share, and and where it's more than just being a an electronics brand. It, it, hmm. it like it says something about about you to have that. I mean, like so, there, it's not an accident that that the iPod commercials were built around the the earpods, right? The, huh. Those white strings or those white cords. No one go to watch any music video. Watch Apple's video from the iPhone last year when they talked about the iTunes Festival. There are no white cords; they are all red. So this is so this is interesting. This is a three point two billion dollar marketing play. It's not just a well. It depends how you define marketing. Not not uh, not the tech definition of marketing, where it's just advertising, but also it's a. Mark, it's a new market that where Apple is is cool enough, but it's not the cool player. I think for us in our in our like we're both in our thirties, and I think for us in our thirties and forties, like this kind of cohort that came up with the internet, like Apple is the definition of cool. Uh, you know, it's it's challenging to say the least for a company to be cool for two generations, and certainly from a lot of what I've seen. Uh, not from personal experience, and I don't have teenagers. I'm um, I'm looking forward to in ten years when I get my own personal <laughs> market research. But like the, the one of the most powerful brands in electronics slash music slash the sort of areas that Apple prides itself on dominating from a branding and coolness perspective. Right now, that's Beats. Uh, Beats are one of the most popular gifts, or they're kind of the must-have thing for people in, in a certain age range. You look at. I mean, I watch a ton of NBA. They always show the the clips of guys walking into the you know into the stadium before before a game. They're all wearing Beats headphones, right? Uh, and there's a it's a demographic that I think um, is a really important one. Uh, and again, not just not just a, th- there's also the the African American demographic, but also I think just the age demographic. This younger generation where Apple is their parents' computer, and they're not. Am- 
they don't have any antip antipathy <laughs> yeah, towards it, but they don't have the sort of affection that I think our generation mm -hmm. does either. So I, I'm I'll uh, that maybe around the iPhone. I mean, I think the iPhone and the iPod is and and so on like that. All I mean, the iPod's starting to go now. I recognize that, but iPhone and iPad around that generation, I think, is pretty popular. But so I I'm well I'm I'm not going to argue with any of what you've said. It all makes sense. But how how does that benefit Apple um, in terms of I mean it's do you see, I mean they're not going to rebrand the Beats by Dre into um, into Apple head well maybe they are or are they going to start are they going to start <laughs> are they going to rebrand some of their devices into Beats by Dre instead of Apple devices yeah. like no I mean it, you know that that no that's that's like just that that's I think one of the biggest hangups like anyone looking at this like if the most valuable thing they're getting is the brand um, that above all feels very unapple like uh right apple I mean, has always done that before yeah well I, have they no i mean well there's like they bought like filemaker like which made uh the, the you are stretching right there my friend <laughs> but well no but well i mean you can look at it some ways one they have had sub brands like iphone is a sub brand uh ipod is a sub brand um but by virtue of being they've also been very much accruing to apple you know the main yeah. brand uh so so beats by dre by apple <laughs> you heard it here first no i mean it, that's i don't know i mean i can see the allure there but it's really hard to see how it play out and i'm doing a bad job playing the devil's advocate here because i, no, I, I don't I, have a good answer to that to that one i i mean i think i'm certainly benefiting listening to you push back um so you you said so those are two reasons. Did you have a third? Yeah. So okay. So yeah. So there's the well, the first one was there. I think there is like not not meaning not iPhone level meaningful, but but nice and useful revenue and profit uh, growth. There's the brand uh, and the kind of access to a a demographic that Apple may not be as strong as they would like. Um, mm -hmm. Three, there is the Beats Music service, uh, which, right. yeah, I, again, like, I don't think Apple's worried or bothered by the fact of how many subscribers they may or may not have. Um, like, people are like, oh, why doesn't Apple build it themselves? Uh, well, of course, Apple could build it themselves. I, <laughs> people serially, um, uh, anyone who hasn't developed uh, any software is always like, well, why don't you just build it yourself as if it, you yeah. know, it's going to be ready tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, Apple, they're, they're, Apple, Apple has felt itself behind in music once before, mm -hmm. uh, and that was in in so in 1999. Right. This is actually um, getting back to being at Apple University. This was actually the specific, um, you know, like anyone who's worked at Apple, I'm still scared to talk about what I worked on. But uh, this is actually the specific episode that I focused on for kind of like my project for the summer uh, was understanding how Apple's kind of change and response to to this specific episode. So actually, I um, spent a lot of time about this, talked to a lot of the relevant um, people in this. Um, so 1999, Steve Jobs is on stage, introduced uh, the, a new iMac with Firewire and uh, QuickTime and the iMovie. And, and he said that iMovie was going to be to the Mac what desktop publishing had been to the Mac um, 
10 years previously or 15 years previously. And meaning like that was going to be a reason to own. And the whole company was kind of aligned around this, around, uh, you know, the hardware side was, was, was uh, the software side was all about making Macs the best for making home movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, fast forward uh, 14 months and Jobs is on stage giving, we have a vision for the Mac. It's going to be the digital hub. And where are we going to start? We're going to start with music. Like, it was a complete change, right? And it wasn't a complete change in that, like, there were shades of the digital hub in the movie strategy. Right. But it was a very clear shift in prioritization. And Jobs has been quoted as saying, it's one of my favorite Jobs quotes. Like, he's like, uh, I was scared. I thought we missed it. Like, we were making Macs. They didn't have CD burners. We didn't have... Uh, uh, we didn't have a good music program. And meanwhile, kids are going crazy on Napster. And he was like, like to him, that was one of the scariest moments of his comeback was realizing, crap, this ought to be Apple's domain and we missed it. That, and, was, that was rip, mix, burn, right? Yeah, well, that, but that was that was the reaction. But, but before that, right. they're like, crap. And so like Apple like completely changed everything. They took all these people off iMovie. They reorganized everyone. Like all the stars from iMovie like got like demoted. Like it was a it was a ton of actually internal kind of like a very, very uh upheaval. And they went out and bought SoundJam, right? Yeah, that, they, that's they did, iTunes was they yeah. didn't have time to build their own. The the need the market need was so pressing, they went out and bought something and they adapted it and uh in that digital hub speech, that was the day they released iTunes. Mm. And then a month later, John Rubenstein was in uh, Japan visiting Toshiba. She was like, hey, we made these tiny hard drives. We have no idea what to use them for. Um, and <laughs> then came the iPod. The iPod was developed in six months. Like, like Apple had, like, for all your talk about Apple being diligent and uh, waiting till it's perfect. They had a fire under their ass in in two thousand and two thousand and one because they they recognized this is where we need to be. We are missing it, and we are going to do whatever it takes, including acquiring companies, including developing something in six months and releasing it because it's important. And if and that opportunity is now, and that's the point. It's not companies don't make opportunities. They don't make markets. Markets, they recognize markets and take advantage of them. I think it's a very subtle distinction, and it's something that I think Jobs always understood, and he understood it then, and that's why he, he did whatever it took to seize that opportunity. I, 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 I would not disagree with that statement at all, I guess. There's, there's a supply and there's a demand side to it, right? And on one side, you have what you just described, when the market is right, when the technology is right. On the other hand, what I was describing earlier is which organization is best placed to take advantage of it. And again, with the iPod and and iTunes or SoundJam, I remember them thinking about acquiring SoundJam or Audi and it came down to the wire as to which app they were going to purchase. But like they had the entire stack. I mean, they weren't the first to market, but the thing that they had was they were able to control the software and the hardware. And up until that point, that had been a lot of people's frustration. So no doubt that they were late. But I, I guess coming back to the earlier point, do you think that this acquisition of, of Beats is going to help or hinder them when it comes to the next thing? Or do you think this is another equivalent of, of, of these guys getting up on stage and focusing on iMovie when they should be focusing 
on iTunes. Well, well I, the reason that was a very long diversion, but the reason I, I mentioned it was the Beats Music thing. Um, right. Meaning that, okay. like, yes, Apple could build a subscription music service, but if they feel it's pressing, iTunes music sales were down 13% last quarter. Yeah, right. Like, it, I, and this was, I think, a classic example of oversubscribing to Jobs' personal view that subscription music was a bad idea and that people want to own music. Um, Jobs was wrong. Uh, he's been wrong many times. I think this was another example. Um, I, I it was, and I, I, I personally have missed this as well because I, I think living abroad, like I prefer to download music because I don't have to deal with rights issues. Right? I travel a lot, and yeah. like it's hard for me to use subscription services. Uh, but the evidence is in the numbers, right? Like, there people are abandoning paid downloads uh, for for these subscription services, and Apple has nothing. Like, yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm going to valiantly come to Jobs's defense. I think, I think he's, I I think he's like it's one of these things that are fluid, right? And I think back when he said like people don't want to rent music, they want to own it. I think at that point in time it was true, but I also think people's right, views on these things. Well, it's technology thing, right? There wasn't right. wireless everywhere, right? And so it's starting to change. And so. So of, of your three reasons, I think your third is certainly most compelling because, and, and I mean, when you think about Apple delivering internet services successfully as a, I mean, yes, they have the, when it's been tied closely to their devices, it's been successful, but I mean, they, they have a hit and miss record with developing internet software services, right? And so that's, something that, that's a generous characterization. Okay, yeah, I'm a, I'm a generous person. Um, you know, and so and so maybe these I haven't used the Beats service, but I hear it's it's doing a good job of attracting paid subscribers. So, I mean, of the three reasons that you've you've put up, this one certainly makes the most sense to me. Well, so I think I mean, so this is and this is kind of the most benign explanation for the acquisition. You have three things that you may you may differ in the importance you ascribe to each of them, but there are three net benefits I think from this deal, and that's not to mention like the whole like Jimmy Iovine and, and apparently yeah. the connections he can bring to Apple and stuff like that, which is which is I don't put it. I think Apple um, for all the the hullabaloo it has decent connections. I mean they've been doing it for a long time. Um, but we'll say that's four. Let's say there's four things that Beats brings to the table, and yeah, three point two billion is a lot. But how many companies out there would actually bring so much to the table for Apple and uh, for Apple specifically? Well, so it's interesting. Maybe maybe they paid so much because of the headphones, but maybe what they're actually buying. Maybe what they're actually buying was the music subscription service, and perhaps to a greater or lesser extent, access to those executives. Yeah, I mean, that, it, it, that was next, right? Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. And so, um, so again, that's the very benign explanation. Like, there's they did what they there was a lot of there's a lot of upside um, to this deal, um, but. Yeah, you there, said you had doubts and you've been playing devil's advocate and I feel it's only fair now to give you a chance to air some more of those doubts. What do you think? Well, the the big the big problem I actually think from a 
strictly business point of view, this is an eminently justifiable deal for the reasons I just said. Like, Beats actually does solve a lot of problems for Apple. The problem is, one, is just generally speaking, acquisitions are hard, especially in the consumer space. They often fail. Mm-hmm. And two, even the ones that succeed require a lot of executive attention and oversight and right. getting incorporating the culture and stuff like that. And that's a problem at any company, but at a company like Apple, which is functionally organized and by design, everything filters up to the top and that's where all the interconnection happens. Like Tim Cook himself was kind of the most forceful advocate for Apple only focusing on a few products, only doing a few things and adding on a a acquisition and managing someone like Iveen or, or I don't even know how you pronounce his name. I'm not sure. Um, and all this sort of stuff, uh, is a great way to not be focused. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, so one other, uh, people who've listened to the earlier two episodes will know that I, I bring with me a certain way of thinking as a result of having had the privilege of studying under Clay Christensen. And one of the ways that he thinks about acquisitions is looking through them uh, through this lens of, of what he calls RPP, resources, processes, and priorities. And basically you can boil any company down. It, it, all their component parts are accounted for by one of these three things. Resources are like what you'd expect. These are the, the people that, that are working there, uh, the assets that the company has, whether physical or intellectual. Processes are the ways that um, the company has of doing things. Um, they're like, you know, how it solves problems, uh, its ability to turn certain certain resources into resources of greater value. And the priorities are um, basically the profit model, what it finds attractive and what it doesn't. And it's, I, I mean, when I start thinking about it through that lens, it does strike me that this was, I mean, I can't imagine that they, they bought it for the, for the priorities, for the profit model. I'm, I'm just, I just can't see it. I don't, I don't think that makes sense. Similarly for the processes, like I'm maybe, maybe in terms of the, the, the ability to come up with, I mean, I just, it, it really feels like it's a resource acquisition and, and coming back to your when you when you buy resources, it's then a case of what you do with them. Do you do you integrate them into do you integrate them into the uh, the, the 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 company that's just acquired them, or do you keep them separate? And when it comes when if you think about, I mean, on one hand you have the headphone business, and on the other hand you have this music subscription business. I think the music subscription business, the way that Apple's probably going to think about it is that on some level this needs to um, this needs to now integrate into iTunes, right? And that's going to be tough, like pulling that into pulling pulling the like that external software and integrating it into iTunes. I mean that that piece of software now is a complete beast. Well, yeah. Well, maybe maybe they need to ditch iTunes. Maybe this is the next oh. iTunes. I mean, that's an interesting, that's a really interesting thought as well. I mean, maybe this is, maybe this is the plan to get rid of iTunes. I mean, that thing, that thing's been going for years now. The code must oh, be it's, crazy. It is, it's, and it's, a, it's 
<laughs> it's a terrible program. Uh, even on, yeah. Um, yeah, just because just the weight, the weight of it, it's, it's too right. heavy. Um, yeah. Well, I, and it, again, this is where I, I, I went back and forth on my conclusion, uh, because there's a way to make a big deal out of this. There's a way to say it's actually not really that big of a deal. And the not big of a deal is, look, the, the, the headphone business is straightforward. We're going to help them. Mm. We're going to help them clean up their quality issues. Uh, although, uh, I, I don't think people, I don't think people want accurate sound. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think there's, stu- I gotta find, I gotta find, I think there's studies that people like, like tend to prefer, uh, bass heavy sound. Uh, but you know, I don't want to get into that. Uh, uh, there's just have the headphone business go on, um, and then incorporate the beats music into iTunes, however that, that works out. And, and that, that's all it's just, it's, it's relatively benign. All you on the internet are making way too big out of deal out of it. Um, right. And just and, big and I, fit. I, I would agree with that, except it's, it's, it, it could be, it could be perceived as the first step down a slippery slope, right? This could be the first instance of, of Apple, going out there and letting itself get distracted from its core mission. It, 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 yeah, I agree by itself. Yes. This isn't big in terms of like, you're right. It's a month's worth of profit. Like it's, it's, it's a headphone hardware business for the most part is what they've bought. I imagine, you you know, like that's no big deal. But what, what concerns me is this is the, this is so markedly different, although it's small, it's so markedly different from anything that they've done previously. And maybe it's a reflection of, of, pressures starting to slip into the business which you articulated in that piece that you posted on strategy and if that's the case i'm i find that a little bit concerning so um no which is which is very fair um the the, the there is a there is a larger sort of interpretation though which is when you when you get back to um i i think uh, I think the last iPhone introduction was was a really big deal, and anyone who didn't watch it, uh, I, I still think it's worth watching again because um, I've rarely seen Apple's. Well, that's not true. Apple often is, but they were so explicit in their framing of the iPhone in that presentation. Uh, you know, starting out with the iTunes Festival, um, you know, it was very much a statement that the iPhone is is more than just a phone it is an experience it's 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 the hardware it's the it's the touch id which is not just a a a checklist it's it's you know it's 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 to enhance the experience using the phone it's it's itunes it's it's this whole sort of ecosystem and and very much making a statement that we are not going to pursue the low end we are providing value beyond the hardware and even beyond the software, like, you know, uh, intangible sort of, sort of value. Mm -hmm. And, and so you, you take that framing, which to me was very explicit and, uh, around the iPhone, uh, you have things like the iPhone, even small things like the gold iPhone you have, um, you know, everyone's making a big deal out of this, but I, you know, hiring Angela Aaron's, um, you know, weaving, a CEO position uh, for for Verberty to to be to be a senior VP, hiring the the Eve Saint Lawrence, uh, Saint Laurent uh, CEO, um, and combined with the combined with the the Asian market, which is clearly the future for Apple and for any 
company of their size where that is highly, highly valued. Like the the sort of aspirational aspect of a product is so much more important here than it is in, in the United States. I think it's something very hard for people in the United States to really understand. This is what sells products here. 29% uh, of the luxury market is China. Um, a, a vast portion of, of LVMH's products, Louis Vuitton, what's the Moe M? Hennessy. Moe Hennessy. I knew H was Hennessy. I can remember the, the M. Um, their, pro their, their profits are all in China and, and in Asia broadly. Uh, is Apple is Apple redefining? Apple's always had that that component of right. of an Apple product, but it's it, hmm. you know they were Apple Computer. I know they changed the name in two thousand seven, but they were still Apple Computer. But now have they really fully transformed from being Apple Computer to being Apple? You know, along the lines of of an Yves Saint Laurent or or of a Louis Vuitton. I mean, that's interesting. I mean. It's interesting, and I, 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 having spent a little bit of time in Asia, I certainly know what you're talking about in terms of things being aspirational. But I do think tech companies want to tr tread a little bit carefully heading in that direction. You know, I mean, part of the nature of technology is that it updates so quickly, and um, it, and fundamentally, paying, people are buying it. Yes, there's a status element to it, but part of this status is attached to the utility. And if you if you let that get the wrong way round, you end up start selling virtues. And <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what you. Which, think by the way, there people. are virtue stores like all over Asia. Like yeah, I know. Part of it, but you go to any airport, there's a virtue store. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm judging people that walk into Virtu stores. I don't know how profitable that is either, and I certainly don't think those guys are changing the world. So. Uh, yes, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with amping up and delivering a great experience. In fact, I think that's really important, but it's fundamentally a technology company, and if you get too far away from those roots and you start to focus on ancillary stuff as opposed to um, delivering amazing performance, uh, then you set the scene for someone to come along and really trump you with something that you weren't expecting. Well, there's also the matter that, you know, as a technology company, Apple, like someone says something to me once that uh, people value people, the way, the way people, just from a, a financial perspective, the way people value technology companies is the degree to which they can, uh, they can make a flop and still make money. So Microsoft, you know, will always have a floor under its stock because investors know that even if they come out with Windows 8, they're still going to be making money. Um, right. Same thing with Amazon, right? Like they, they, they're viewed as being, even with the stock slide, their recent stock slide, they're viewed as being so kind of dominant in their category that they have a lot of kind of wiggle room. Whereas yeah. the view of Apple is all it takes is one flop and... And they're and they're screwed. And certainly, Apple disagrees with that characterization. Um, and and no one. The, uses I mean, that the stock market. Right, the stock market's been wrong about Apple so many times. I mean, their ability to have uh, to deliver growth that the stock market wasn't predicting, and I think that was partly a function of of them having a leader that was just by virtue of who he was and what he believed, he was just able to ignore the stock market altogether. And that enabled them to outperform the stock market in the, I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's certainly an important factor in terms of their ability to outperform the stock market by some incredible amount. And 
I again, this is like if your rationale for them buying Beats is that they're starting to pay more attention to those kinds of things, I can't help but recall that Jobs quote again about the priorities slowly shifting away from making insanely great products to um, starting to worry about profitability and what's like you, you don't change the world by listening to what the folks at Goldman Sachs have to say or if you do it's I don't know <laughs> I maybe I have a slightly biased view of bankers but if you do it's not necessarily changing the world in a positive way <laughs> tell us what you really think yeah well I mean that's why people are listening isn't it <laughs> I don't know I, I guess the, the thing that I'm I'm really hung up on is I think you might be giving a little bit of short shrift to the to the um, Apple Apple and its model is is would be so much better off as either well private companies probably not viable but you know like if, if Jobs was was very jealous of the Google model right where basically uh, Larry and Sergi control the company. Um, you know, people on Wall Street at the time went nuts. You still hear people complaining about it, like because it is a terrible corporate governance model, right? No, whatever Larry and you want to do, they can do, and no one can overrule them. Uh, if you buy the stock, you're along for the ride. Period. Same thing with, and then Zuckerberg totally copied them, right? Zuckerberg can do whatever Zuckerberg wants to do, including paying three billion dollars for for virtual reality, which uh, we could talk about another time. Um, mm. And no one can tell him anything. Like the board has no power. Stockholders have no power at the end of the day. Um, and arguably what you're saying, like Apple, perhaps, you know, Apple is very, I would imagine is very jealous of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is, this is interesting because I'm thinking of parallels to like the way that countries and, and countries are run, right? And if you have a, if you have a, an awesome person at the top actually being inside a benevolent dictatorship is probably better than being inside of a democracy. Uh, the problem comes when at some point Larry and Sergey disappear, then what happens? Or, like, or when it, Larry and Sergey, you know, power goes, you know, power corrupts. Right. Well, that's interesting too. Right? Well, the, the, yeah, we can tell this another time. The, the, what scares me about Google is kind of the utopianism, like the surest, you know, that that's, that's, that's always a good idea until it goes wrong. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 on some level, I respect that, but I also very much understand what you're saying and this notion that these guys, you know, this is my vision of the future. And the funny thing about those guys is <laughs> they actually have the resources and some amazing brains there to actually make it a reality. So I, yeah. I hope they don't get it wrong along the way. No, but I think I think it actually is really interesting. I, it, I, I one of the one of the things that that you know when people talk about like oh companies ought to be democratic or something those lines it so misses the point right like mm -hmm. a, a democracy is inherently inefficient uh, and and will produce suboptimal results the reason why we prefer it for government is because the downside is so great right government has by nature being government has so much power that we we as a society uh, are willing to trade away the upside in order to limit the downside. Um, for a company, the downside is bankruptcy. And while that sucks, it it's not like putting people in prison camps and, and starting wars. So it, it's more, that's why companies in a lot of ways are dictatorships, right? Like that there is, 
significant concentration of power. And yes, the politics and culture of companies means it's not total, but it's okay because because there is more of a thing. And, and I think what we're talking about is does that extend all the way to the board, to the to the shareholders, right. et cetera. And do you know what? I think this is an awesome topic that we should talk about next time. Yeah, no, we could go over that forever. Um, I, I totally want to go over it. I think it would be a really interesting conversation. All right, well, leaving, leaving that aside, uh, the, the, I think the other thing for is not just activist st- shareholders, though. It, 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 like, I think there is an employee retention issue. Um, you know, there so is- this is interesting. So you have a firm view on this, and it, I'd like to hear it, because I, I think I'm, maybe I take a slightly different point of view on it, but I'd like to hear yours first. Well, Apple, Apple is a very is a very. I'm not saying like anywhere in the valley is easy to work, but Apple is very difficult, right? Like you, there are extremely high expectations. There is no praise. There's very little promotion. Um, there is long hours, insane deadlines, very high quality bar, and um, I believe the majority of people are intrinsically motivated, and that's what makes it makes it work. But it's also a lot easier to explain to your wife that you're staying in the office till 11 another night when, when, when you're also seeing your net worth double year on year, which was the case you know, for, for a good six or seven years there. Um, like every other company, a significant portion of your, of your annual salary is, is stock. Uh, it's, uh, there's also an employee purchase plan where you can buy at a 10 or 15% discount. And, and that soothes a lot of a lot of challenges in a in a challenging workplace and if that goes away now you're asking people to basically have a very average salary uh and to kill themselves just for the mission meanwhile there's a million jobs for for the especially the best people um all over the valley it's 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 a big challenge yeah i i mean i i've i I certainly understand that. So again, I have a slightly unique perspective on this. So the project that I worked on with um, with Clay was a book called How Will You Measure Your Life? And one of the first things we dive into is the research on motivation. So there's a very famous HBR um, article um, by Frederick Hertzberg, One More Time, How Do You Motivate Employees? And he did this research and it basically showed I mean, I don't know about everyone listening and I don't know about you, Ben, but I always thought that motivation and satisfaction was like one continuous spectrum all the way from being uh, very unhappy through to being very happy. And it turns out that that's not necessarily the way that our minds work. Instead, uh, they, they those spectrums work independently. And there are two sets of factors that determine um, determine. Where, where you feel and how you feel about your job. And the first set are the extrinsic motivators. So how much you're paid, um, uh, like red tape, um, whether you have a safe um, workplace, so on and so forth. Now you get those perfect. It doesn't mean that you're satisfied with your job. What it means is there's an absence of dissatisfaction. So the hygiene, they're termed hygiene factors and they, they determine whether you feel actively dissatisfied or unmotivated about things. The worst case is you feel very dissatisfied and very unmotivated. The best case is that you feel an absence of dissatisfaction. On the other hand, you have those intrinsic motivators, such as whether you find the work meaningful, uh, whether you're given responsibility to shoulder, um, 
whether you're learning and so on. And those things are determine whether you love your job. And so if you get them all, you feel like you feel a sense of satisfaction, fulfillment. If they're missing, then you don't feel dissatisfied. What you have is an absence of satisfaction. And so what I think you might be describing is that Apple's been in this place where people who go there are obviously, um, I, I mean, I, I spent some time there as well, and people really believe in what they're doing, and that's, that's incredibly powerful. But that Apple also had the advantage in the past that the hygiene factors, in particular the money, just by virtue of the stock price appreciation, was taken care of as well. So not only did people really love what they what they did, but in terms of hygiene factors, a lot of it was satisfied by the fact that that the stock was appreciating so much. Now, what you might be starting to see is that uh, the stock, as the stock appreciation slows, that the hygiene factors are called more into play. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting though, is there's a bunch of research out there that shows that the amount that you paid past a certain amount actually has very little bearing as to whether you're happy or not. And so I'm wondering whether the, I mean, I know people will get poached and sometimes just because this is, this is what the research says doesn't necessarily mean that people will behave rationally and say, well, once I get past $70,000, the amount of money I get paid actually has very little bearing on whether I'm satisfied with my work. So really I should optimize for the motivators rather than the hygiene factors. But I have a hunch that it's going to have less of an effect than you might think it will have. No, I, I, I first of all, I, I completely agree with that with that viewpoint and approach, and it's a it's a great art, it's a great article and makes makes a ton of sense. I think. Um, and one thing that I think kind of aligns with your point is Apple is very famous for you know people work there, they kind of burn out, then they leave, go work somewhere else, then they come back, um, right. and people do this like multiple times, right? It's kind of like a, it, it's like the your vacation as an Apple employee is to go work at a startup for a couple of years, um, which kind of puts in context what it's like to work at Apple. Um, I think that the problem, though, is the hygiene factor you didn't mention is kind of just work-life balance. I mean, right. like it is it working at Apple, and it, I know this is the case at a lot of companies. I'm not trying to diminish what it is like to work elsewhere, but it is really insane, right? And, and so I think just by the way Apple is structured. And it's not just it's it's not just the number of hours, but it's also kind of the demands, right? Like mm. the um one of the ways you have consistently high quality in your products is by demanding consistently high quality in everything all the time. Right? Like I have seen someone told to stop to stop presenting because they had something misaligned on a slide. And it's like, why don't you come back next week when you're ready? Like yeah, that's great for making a culture that highly values that, but boy, that guy's day was ruined, right? And and that is going to be a pretty big negative on the hygiene factor, and that's just that's just a reality. And it's not just that the pay doesn't make them satisfied, but it kind of like cancels out some of the omnipresent bad hygiene that is the reality of working right. there. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of these things about. I mean, one of the big motivators is being given lots of responsibility to shoulder and learning lots of stuff. Now, the downside to being given lots of responsibility and learning lots of stuff is it's really freaking hard when someone says to you, look, 
this is on you. And I mean that some of their management practices around like you walk out of a meeting and everybody, there's an action item and someone's name is beside it and they have a responsibility for making sure that gets done. That's awesome in terms of like, okay, I own this. I've got to figure this out. But it's also intensely stressful. And if, and I mean, Apple is staffed relatively leanly compared to some of the other tech firms, right? Yep. Like yep. if you're running, if you're running lean and you're giving, you're pushing down responsibility and you're asking people to learn lots of new stuff, like the way that gets solved is by people working super hard. So I, I totally hear you. Um, that's, that's definitely something they've got to be aware of. But at the same time, if they pull it back too far, then they lose some of that motivation. They lose the sense that, you know, I'm having a real impact on this thing that's going out and changing the world. So it's so, a tough balance. So, so this is something we should talk about, I think, in another show, just because we're already we're already an hour in. Um, and, I, and I'd actually love to explore this with you. But um, what I would love to see Apple at least consider, um, I'm going to throw this out there, you're not allowed, again, we should talk about this in another show, but is really reforming their compensation practices. Like the the thing with tech with the thing with stock based compensation is it's it's good for the bottom line, right? Because well that well that impacts your number of shares and, and your earnings per share and all the blah, 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 blah. like what the, the there is a financial impact and there is a way for accounting for it, but it's not a direct cost like the actual salary is, mm-hmm. um, and so that's why everyone likes using stock even established companies. Um, but what if Apple, for the purpose of relieving this pressure, uh, went away from stock-based compensation and significantly increased monetary compensation? Uh, that would be an interesting use of $3.2 billion. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely would. I, I think you're about to tell me that I wasn't really allowed to react and that we were going to talk about it later. So I'm going to... Well, there's, there's, gonna... lots of, there's lots of potential side effects and, and problems with that, I think. Um, it's something I, I haven't it's, written it's... about because I haven't fully fleshed out my head either. So we should, we should flesh it out sometime soon. Sounds good. We are online at exponent.fm uh, on Twitter, at exponent.fm. And I'm Monkbent, M-O-N-K-B-E-N-T, and, and am, Sorry. And I am James Orth, J-A-M-E-S-A-L-L-W-O-R-T-H. And I promise not to talk over you again, except I probably will. <laughs> well, and uh, you, you, you don't as write as much anymore since you're actually um, someone who's busy working. Uh, yeah, I, I need to fix that. But you, your writing is usually found on the HBR, HBR. blog. Yeah. Right. I write for Harvard Business Review occasionally elsewhere as well, but mostly with HBR. And it's hbr.org or what's... Yeah, hbr.org. And I mean, if you Google if you Google my name and then HBR, then most of my stuff will come up. Yeah, we'll get a link. We'll get a link to uh, to that. It's on exponent.fm. Sweet. Cool. Well, look forward to talking again soon. All right, mate. Talk to you later. Wait. Thanks, everyone.